This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. It's seven on the dot. Welcome to Buy Into It. We talk computing and technology. Tonight we are joined by the um, the panel extraordinaire, Cassie. I'm happy to be here, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> and it's me, Vanessa. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, look, we've got a great show for you this evening. Uh, we have a couple of people behind the startup Relectrify, and it's all about battery storage solutions for uh, your home energy. It's a pretty topical area right now and I think you'll really want to hear about that. Very exciting stuff. Have you ever wondered what happens to the batteries in electric cars when they're no longer useful as as car batteries but they've still got so much more to offer? I had not. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, these guys are certainly going to change all of that. Yep. So stick around for that. We're also going to hear from Dr. Troy Innocent, who is putting on an amazing augmented reality event with Melbourne International Games Week. So that's coming up a bit later. But before we get to that, let's hear some news from this week. First of all, uh, we had Google Tango. They've launched uh, their phone with over 35 new apps. Now, if you haven't heard of the Google Tango project, it's been quite a few years in the making. It's all about Google's depth sensing technology. So if you think about um, what Pokemon Go did for augmented reality, uh, Tango is trying to leap off where that where they ended and um, use different sorts of sensors in a phone that's available now and tie that into games and other apps for you to interact with things in the real world and um, augment that. So it might be things to control the climate in your house or it might be a game where things are right in front of you looking a lot more interactive than, say, Pokemon. Yeah. And um, what really struck me is that normally when we see this kind of stuff, it is mostly headset based, Mm. but this is an actual handheld device that that you're using and getting the full experience from the handheld device. Yeah, that's right. So there are some games like Crayola Color Blaster, which just makes me think it's so designed for children that children are going to be really au fait with this AR type environment much sooner than we are really I think <laughs> we're still trying to get used to it um, there's also Hot Wheels track builder so it is branded to the max are you getting the the feeling of this a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah and and they're marketing it very young um, they've also uh, I guess they're they're trying to um, bridge that gap between VR as well. So the work they're doing on this sort of sensing stuff is also um, helping them do inside-out tracking in VR, which means trying to understand where the person is in relation to VR um, with their sensor technology, not just projecting things around people. Yeah, and there seems to be other uses besides gaming, mm. like using measure to measure things in your home or even project where furniture would go around you, sort of like a, a giant, you know, those websites where you can plan your dream home. You can actually do it in your home. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when you look at it, it's just such a commercial focus and, <laughs> and the fact that they're going for... The AR before the VR is also, it seems like it's a very commercial decision. You know, it's, it's very, we can put you out in the world and push things at you and potentially sell things. Yeah. 
Another commercial decision, uh, moving on to some other news, is that Instagram is about to launch a service where you can buy stuff directly from uh, the social network. Now, we've seen some other social networks try and fail at doing this before. Twitter, uh, Twitter. What am I saying? Twitter, <laughs> Twitter recently uh, shut down their their shopping service. But the thing about um, Instagram is that at the moment we're kind of optimistic that this will be successful. So what it will actually be is that, like you can currently tag brands or other users in your photos, uh, you will now be able to tag the products exactly um, and then have links to to retailers who can then you can then buy that directly mm. Pinterest has launched something similar recently yeah. um, and the reason why it's expected to work on Instagram is that the market for influencers on Instagram is huge uh, you're always getting uh, different companies pushing young influencers especially to to wear this singlet in a shot <laughs> or drink this tea or it's um, funny whatever. because um, cable TV tries tried to do this many years ago and failed like the technology just wasn't able to cope yeah and I mean at the moment there's already people looking for oh what are they wearing or you look in the tags uh it'll it'll just be interesting but um be prepared to see a few more ads in your regular pictures I suppose Mm, that's a shame (laughs) it's hard to get excited about that but I guess we're starting to see the business models tacked on after the fact to these platforms I mean that being said, though, I do follow a lot of local businesses who I really like their products or different designers. And so in that way, it would be good for me to click right through, especially since Instagram doesn't let you put links mm. in the description. But um, I'm sure it's just going to be big corporations taking Well, there have been lots of oh, – you mentioned fashion, but there have been lots of clothes stores who their websites I've noticed recently direct you through to their Instagram. Mm. And, yeah, that's been a change of behaviour. So maybe they've had a bit of pre-warning that this is coming. <laughs> who knows? Uh, the 15th anniversary of the iPod has recently been reached, and that, that was a big surprise for me. It almost felt like it'd been there so long in my life. It felt like more than 15 years. This is making me feel really old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The iPod was a really instrumental uh, product in the Apple suite because it, it turned around their fortunes. They were they were having a bit of trouble until then, and then it was just this iconic marketing campaign. And it was it was still an expensive bit of tech when it came out, but it was affordable enough that it was it hit that sort of prosumer market, I guess. You know, for the real music lovers in your life, and then yeah, people started having them around, and it just. It just caught fire, that trend. I'm probably, I'm 25 now and I'm probably the last generation that actually didn't have an MP3 player before getting one um, because the iPod came out when I was 10. Mm. So I still remember using my Discman or, or burning discs and stuff and the fact that when iPods came out and then the huge onslaught of um, other portable music devices, mm. the huge impact it had but nothing everything was sort of seen as a copy of Apple. And I guess if you look at Apple's huge share of the market now, um, 
that's really where it all began. Yeah, it was fascinating how quickly they diversified into different types of iPods and, you know, there were the little ones, the nanos that were great for running with and you had the big ones with hard drives and, and you know, I had one of those, like the 80 gig and it was just considered like, is this a portable hard drive or is it a music player? It's both, you know, here you can access your file storage menus and it was so funny to see them thinking that way and, and how much has changed and, you know, when the click wheel was there and then when they moved from that and there have been so many iterations in that product. It's been such a successful product. And now we go 15 years ago, you know, is is it still hot? You know, they keep getting rid of models that people love. Um, yeah, losing features. That being said, if you do manage to have one of those original iPods, uh, they are going for a lot online right now. So you could be into uh, a bit of a winner. I like that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Speaking of other big companies, uh, Microsoft recently uh, this week or last week announced a lot of things at its Windows 10 event, uh, which was pretty exciting. Uh, I have been, you know, I was a MacBook girl for a long time. I did get brought over to the light side, dark side again with the Surface Book. So uh, that's a little disclaimer of <laughs> what I've been using. Um, but... Yeah, to my surprise, they're actually bringing out an entire Surface Studio, which I should have expected, but it's Microsoft's first go at like an uh, all-in-one Surface. So that's that's pretty exciting. So it's actually got the computer and the screen and everything together, um, sort of what we're used to seeing from Mac. But So what was particularly interesting about this is that um, the classic Windows app Paint is getting a really big update that includes support for 3D objects. So that's something you usually think of getting, you know, 3D Studio Max or, you know, Mm. an AutoCAD or something like that to work with those 3D objects. So the fact that Paint's doing that, Paint was notoriously an unsophisticated app that you just muck around in a little bit. I mean, a lot of memers are going to be upset with this Windows 10 Creators update, they're calling it. It's coming out early next year, but... If apps getting updated and can do 3D objects, uh, all your classic done in paint memes. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and change. they've also synced that with, uh, 3D scanning capability. So you can import a 3D photo scan of something into paint, which, you know, it makes sense. If it's going to work with 3D, you should be able to import objects. But the, the rendering p- processing power that you need to do that sort of thing, it's just mind blowing to think that they now have embedded that in something that was a tiny little throwaway fun app. Yeah. And you can, you can use the full power of that with the Surface Studio that they're bringing out. They're all in one there. Um, they've also got things like you've, we've got the usual Surface Pen where you can write straight on the screen with that again. Um, 63% more than 4K display. Uh, with 1.35 million pixels, if you're if you're a tech like specs to nerd, count my pixels. And yeah, make sure you know, I'm getting good value. Yeah, make sure there's not one that's blacked out. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's also going to be a new peripheral called the Surface Dial for uh, video and audio editors as well as graphic artists, which is a bit exciting. So that's a dial that'll just be on the table or on the screen, and you can scroll through timelines or um, use it like a color picker or whatever. Um, I'd recommend checking it out uh, actually because. It makes more sense when you look at it rather than uh, Trying just to describe describing it. it. Yeah. Um, but they're yeah they're also trying to uh, do things like 
embed contacts more easily into your taskbar, um, as well as having some new standalone VR headsets starting at a much lower price point, um, around 300 US. Yeah, this is considered a bit of a game changer. They've, mm. they've gone out to market, um, really undercutting a lot of their competitors, uh, like the HTC Vive or Oculus Rift. Um, and yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a comfy looking headset. You know, they've, once again, we've seen people trying to make headsets that can fit over people's glasses if they have them. So they've started to get a bit more consumer savvy about. Consider it. Yeah. Yeah. About what people are looking for. Um, it's kind of exciting because, you know, the cheaper this tech becomes, the, the more incentive there is for people to make things for the platforms. And yeah, it's great. Exactly. And gamers will also be excited, uh, because Windows 10 and Xbox will be getting native game streaming with a service called Beam. It's not as big as Twitch, which is what we're normally used to, uh, but you'll be able to start a broadcast straight from Xbox One or the Xbox app on Windows. You can start your own gaming tournaments and share them on Xbox Live and, yeah, you can share the event for later. So I really wonder if that's going to have any luck um, <laughs> when, when Twitch is already so established, has such massive audiences, but I guess the convenience factor might be a winner and they've they've had success with that in the past, embedding their tech right yeah. in their peripherals. Yes. We'll see. Interesting one to watch. <laughs> Look out for Beam. <laughs> Now we'd love to welcome into studio a couple of guests from Reelectrify. We've got Daniel Crowley and Valentin Wenzel. Hey, welcome, thank guys. You very much. Thank it's you. a pleasure to be here. Great to have you in. Now, you have a startup that's kind of topical at the moment. Um, you're taking retired electric car batteries and making um, home battery storage solutions out of them. Can you tell us a bit about like your origin story? Where where did your you know ambitions to move into the battery space come from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it it all came from a long time ago. So I started working on electric car batteries around five years ago. I spent some time over at BMW and then uh, started doing my PhD on on electric car batteries. And we started picking up some some opportunities here where if you take advanced technology then you can actually extend the life of these used car batteries tremendously and use them in household energy storage to create incredibly, uh, I mean, sustainable household storage because you're not even manufacturing batteries. Mm. And so Dan and I know each other from university and uh, and we started discussing this concept. Mm. And uh, I, I've always been on a theoretical type level figuring out how things work. And then Dan came in and, and figured out how to actually make it happen. Yeah, Val, Val's kind of the, the non-engineer with the PhD. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a good, good, good fun journey coming from, uh, from, from university where, uh, um, Val's very much on the business side of things. Um, me very much on the technology side of things and taking a flip. I, I go into business for a few years in London, um, in another startup. Um, and Val goes on to be, do a PhD in, 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 in the hardcore uh, battery technology. Um, and then flip back again as soon as, as soon as the opportunity arises three years later. Now, when you started thinking about home batteries, did you ever think about different sorts of batteries before you ended up with electric car batteries? So we, we looked at a range of battery options. And uh, electric cars was always going to be the big one yeah. because the volumes of electric cars, I mean, we now have one and a half million electric cars on the road. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendous amount. But we, we thought about, well, are there batteries that have already been out there for a while that are available? So laptop batteries, power tool batteries. We looked into those and, and we 
did consider using those. But then we found that there's already enough electric car batteries out there that are today being stashed in warehouses that are ready for use. And so we thought, hey, let's just go the whole way straight away instead of doing taking it step by step, if that makes sense. Yeah, amazing. So you found an under underutilized resource. It's uh, Airbnb for batteries. What was going to be the future of those batteries that were warehoused? Yes, so um, with any luck, they've made it to a, to a recycler. Um, there are some that still just make it into landfill and totally scrapped and are lying around and uh, there's not nice uh, chemicals in those batteries that you don't really want in landfill. But the majority, especially of electric vehicle batteries, make it to a recycler. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that stage, they're basically uh, collected all together and then shipped off to somewhere um, where they basically re- recover the metals and the precious metals from inside there. So they're basically shredded down, melted down, and the the original metals extracted. But this is when they've still got 80% of their original capacity remaining. So even though they might not be useful for a car, there's still plenty of places that can use this actually absolute massive battery battery pack that doesn't need to be quite as energy dense as as an electric vehicle. Mm. I was just about to ask about that because from an absolute beginner's outsider's perspective, normally you think, oh, if the battery is not charging anymore, it's not suitable for a car. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's a dead battery. Uh, what makes these this process different, and how do you keep it running for a for a house, for example, if it's not going to work for a car? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, the, the way I like to think about it is uh, when you think of your laptop, um, you've got a laptop, shiny new uh, lap, laptop, might last you twelve hours if the, if, if the specs are ever right. They're not. Um, <laughs> um, or as as that battery kind of degrades, um, it might last you eight hours, five hours, six hours to the point. Where you've always got your got your um, laptop plugged into the power source and just can't can't unplug it. With an electric vehicle, you don't have that choice. You can't leave your electric vehicle plugged in all the time. Doesn't work. Um, so the, the the so there's a lot uh, higher threshold to when that battery is still usable in an electric vehicle, and generally that's around that 80% capacity range. So when you used to be able to drive a th- sort of thousand kilometres just with e- easy numbers, now you can only drive 800 kilometres on each charge, um, and, and that's generally when the ma- manufacturers will say we'll swap swap your battery out. You've also got an excellent video on your website that shows the way that a a regular battery loses charge Mm -hmm. and the way that one of your batteries uh, loses and regains charge. Mm -hmm. Could you explain a little bit about what's in that what sure. video and, and how it works sure absolutely so so one of the challenges of using these old batteries is the difference in, in, in is the difference in how they've aged through their life so um, when you get new batteries off your manufacturing line there's a huge amount of effort used to make sure that all the capacities are exactly the same this is because when you put them all in series if you remember you're, you're, you're uh, I'm trying to think of the Australian equivalent of, of GCSEs but I can't um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that then you get limited by whichever sort of cell is, is weakest in, in, that, uh, in that string. So there's a huge amount of effort that's made sure all those capacities are exactly the same. But after after they've aged, after they've sort of had a had a had a had a long life in your car, uh, there might be some that are very healthy and some that are very weak. But you're you're limited by that weakest one. So what our technology does is um, is is it can instead of all of those batteries discharging at the same rate, so that small one getting emptied first, it can go and give those small batteries a really light load, and so still get the energy out, still use everything you've got there. Um, 
give a much lighter load and any stronger sort of more healthy cells give them a much heavier load so they all end up being empty at the same time so to do that does that rely on having smart devices in the home tapping these things so that you can say this device is going to be uh, you know require a low capacity therefore tap this battery now no so for, for the moment oh, <clears throat> well it's it's a case of looking at the batteries themselves mm. and each battery pack has these many individual segments mm-hmm. so it's controlling how much you take out of every single one so that you can get the best performance some of them are a little bit weaker and you treat them as well as you oh, can and others are, are stronger and mm. so you you draw more energy out yeah Amazing. So, so smart home might be something that can come later, but this yeah. is all stuff inside the battery pack before, before it even leaves the battery pack. Amazing. So a bit of a cheeky question. Mm-hmm. When people think home battery storage, they think Tesla. Yeah. Uh, who came to it first? <laughs> well, there's a funny story here. So we went through the Melbourne Accelerator Program, which is a Melbourne University startup incubator. Mm-hmm. And when, when Dan and I first applied, the very first presentation was actually about two weeks before Tesla launched their household storage product. And so we presented there and the feedback we got from, from people and the questions we got were, but who wants energy storage? <laughs> two weeks later, we presented again exactly to the same panel and the feedback was, well, how are you going to compete with Tesla? <laughs> so, so we'll claim it. We'll claim it. But I mean, Excellent. Tesla, Tesla's amazing company. They're doing incredible things. They've just launched, uh, more solar products that you can put on your roof panels, more energy storage products. They're incredible. What we're focused on is, can you take those batteries after they've been used and can you keep using them? So let's, let's make things as sustainable and as good as we can. Mm. So yeah. there's a lot of people out there who are already interested looking into solar energy, uh, looking into powering their house that way or alternative ways. Uh, when it's not just recycling batteries and using them as a power backup in case, you know, the worst happens, uh, what, what type of alternative energies can you use with this? So, so the main main use of a battery pack inside of inside of home is any form of price arbitrage. So, if you've got off peak compared to peak prices, there'll be some arbitrage there. Um, if you've got sort of installed solar, then you've got very 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 low cost power coming in there compared to what you'd be buying from the grid. Um, where you're looking for, what you're looking for is that very large uh, price arbitrage, uh, and the only place you're really seeing that at the moment is is on solar, uh, at least for the for the for the home energy market. If you start looking at sort of commercial industrial situations, you might be looking at uh, moving your peak demand uh, as as well. I mean, Australia is amazing because we we actually have a vast number of households with solar panels. It's it's something like one in five households has them, and so. If those people can use battery storage to to store extra energy that they generate during the day when they're, say, at work or at school, if they can store that for use at night, that's tremendous because then, you know, the, the sun isn't shining anymore and you're still being powered by sustainable energy. I think that makes makes a lot of us feel good about the energy we use. Yeah, so recently we had some massive storm activity in South Australia and there were a few people who flew off the cuff and, and said that, oh, you know, renewables are to blame for the big power outages. Later we heard people, you know, wind that language back a lot mm-hmm. and, and talk about, well, you know, if you lose massive towers, this is going to happen. But we've, we've just seen a, re- a report released today, as far as I can tell, from the Energy Storage for Commercial Renewable Integration of South Australia. And it's been produced by uh, Wally Parsons, AGL and Electronet. And it's got some really interesting information on, on the South Australian market. Hmm. Apparently it's got the densest, like, photovoltaic receptors, like solar, solar panel market in Australia. Hmm. 
so I think it was quite funny that, you know, it got brought up as, oh, you know, renewables are a problem there. And it's, it's interesting to see that there's a bit of a, a bad rep there. When you look at a market like that, um, you know, what does that do to your business model and, and the potential that you see out there in Australia? S- storage is a, is a great equalizer because it gives you energy when you want it and it, it stores energy when you need to store it. So in, in all these, these sort of situations, wherever we have a market that's out of whack, whether that's in terms of price arbitrage, as Dan said, or in terms of, you know, outages happening that shouldn't be happening, but mm. sometimes they do. Energy storage can, can help with all of those. So, so we're excited to, to help in that way, in, in any way we can. Mm. So have there been particular challenges in getting to this point? Um, being in the Melbourne Accelerator Program, I imagine you've had to do, like, I guess, what would your minimum viable product be? Would it be, like, a proof of concept? Yeah, it, our minimum viable product has changed uh, along the way. Yeah, yeah. So there's always a new minimum viable product that you're focusing on. Right. Um, the the challenges in, in the market that we're in is... We're working not just in energy storage, but in the second life battery space. Mm. And it's something new and developing. There are supply chain questions of how do you get these batteries? Yeah. Then it's who's going to want these batteries? And then on top of that, we get the technology side. Um, so we have a lot of fun. Dan and the tech team have a lot of fun and we all, we all work together very tightly to make sure that, that we try and bring those different sides together. So I guess some of the challenges that we hear about in the battery space are say, you know, exploding mobile phones, you know, <laughs> or, you know, people trying to ramp up the battery storage so much that they become much more volatile. Is yeah. volatility an issue in your space? It's uh, c- certainly for, for a normal battery pack, yes. So if, you, if you're taking the, the, the technical, uh, you, you've got me talking now, so I'll give you the technical <laughs> side. Um, uh, when, you, when, you, when you look at the technical sides, um, we've always had the data on exactly what the temperature is or what the voltage readings are of each cell. But the only option that anyone has of, of, of what to do with a battery pack is turn it on or turn it off. What we can do now is be monitoring exact temperatures of each of the cells inside the packs, exactly see how they're discharging, how they're charging, uh, and adjust the loads based on those. So if you see one cell that's sort of heating up a little bit, you, we can go and give that cell a lighter, lighter load. So when you've got examples of, 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 uh, of cells um, exploding in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, phones there, um, we, we've got that, t- that the, the monitoring in there, not only the monitoring, but the ability to act on all that information you're gathering to be able to turn those, turn those into individual cells off. So we hope we'll be able to be a lot more reliable and a lot safer product uh, as we go as well. So with, you know, you're both highly educated. You're in a Melbourne University Elegant <laughs> Celebrator <Ouch>. program. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's some I'm wicked burns going on. But I wonder, you know, how is the research managing to keep up with the, the entrepreneurial side in this space? Do you mm. think like the academic body of work? Well, in Second Life Batteries, there's, there's been a, that has been mostly an academic endeavor yeah. up until very recently. Right. So it's, it has kept up and, and has uh, almost advanced ahead of where, where the space was, where, and now it's coming into that stage where it's moving from just a research idea to, the market is starting to mature. We know these batteries on the road. It's not a question of will they become available. It's a question of when will they become available because they're going to go somewhere after mm-hmm. after they've been in the cars. Um, so research is doing great work in in looking at those problems early on. When the rubber meets the road, that's when the solutions really come up, and that's where startups uh, become very interesting and mm. and can have their impact. Mm. So what's next for Relectrify? Are you you know opening up any 
second life battery gyms where we're powering the batteries by <laughs> treadmills and bicycles or if you're offering uh. <laughs> yeah so so, so our, our main focus is on uh, home energy storage ourselves so uh, we really think this is an area where we can make a really big impact um, but there's lots of other people who really like our technology too um, so we've got some really interesting partnerships of uh, of where into, into markets where we might not know as much um, where we can partner up with someone who, and, and let, allow us to put our technology to solve some of their problems as well um, so uh, yeah looking forward to releasing some more information about some of that soon Excellent. Well, well, I guess we'll have to stay tuned by uh, going to your website yeah. and uh, subscribing for more information. <laughs> uh, what would that website be, Cassie? Well, that's actually <laughs> funny that you asked, Vanessa. Uh, it's relectrify.com, R-E-L-E-C-T-R-I-F-Y. Like electrify with an R in front of it, which is a uh, great nice. glad, you, glad you got it. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. We can't let you go before asking you if there's anything about the clean tech industry um, in in the space generally that's not your particular playground mm-hmm. um, that is exciting you and that people should look out for. In short, a lot. Yeah. I, think, I think the space, there's so much going on. Mm. Ten years ago, the entire clean tech space was still relatively early phases. Mm. I mean, we started seeing some people install solar panels, but it, it, it was really the, the very, very early adopters. Mm. We're now moving to a world where clean energy and household generation of energy is is mainstream, mm-hmm. where household energy storage is starting to be mainstream. And what we'll see is the entire power networks move from this centralized model of power companies shipping power to you to a model which I imagine being much more like an eBay-style system of, you know what, at this moment in time right now, I've got surplus power, so why don't I sell it to Cassie because she needs some more power right now. And so, and I'll give I her my special friend discount rate. Well, exactly <laughs> right, exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, so that's exciting me. I don't know. You don't? Yeah, like, I, I think for, for 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 once it's not on the tech side for me. Like, I, I think I think the real thing is that the, the 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 majority of the tech work has been done. What's really interesting at the moment is the real uptake of this. Mm. Like, it's it's actually happening now. Like, the it's, it's solar costs have actually plummeted, mm. um, and they continue to plummet. And the more they plummet, the more they'll get in, in, introduced. Um, it's just sad looking back to places like the UK where they've invested so heavily into into things like nuclear uh, prices that are far far beyond what. Uh, um, what solar can offer now, um, and they're locked in for however many years on that. So, so I, I hope there's uh, some some readjustment on that side. But, mm. uh, um, but yeah. all right. Well, uh, Daniel Valentin, that's been excellent hearing about <laughs> your proposition, and um, yeah, I look forward to our market changing in those sort of ways. eBay for for electricity, definitely <laughs> coming <laughs> our way. As excited as we are about Melbourne Music Week coming up, I think that right now we are way more excited about being in the middle of Melbourne International Games Week 2016. So to help celebrate that and to learn a bit more about what's going on, we are about to speak to Swinburne Games and Interactivity course director and game developer, Dr. Troy Innocent. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Troy, I think you might have the best name of anyone we've ever had in this studio with us. <laughs> um, but rather than call you Dr. Innocent all evening, I think we're going to go with Troy. So we're here to hear about Wayfinder Live, which is an augmented reality experience. Now, what is an augmented reality experience? When we hear that, you know, what, sure. how, do, how would you define that? Sure. Well, there's, a, there's a, actually a number of different terms for these types of um, experiences. And the one, my, one that I prefer to use is mixed realities, which is, le- mm-hmm. is not as well known, but it, it kind of 
uh, brings about, uh, kind of articulates what these experiences are really about, which is adding layers to the world around us um, to, to either bring to our attention things that we might not have been aware of before or uh, perhaps more interestingly to add things um, to that world that um, uh, can make it more playful, um, make it more perhaps... Uh, friendly, or, or perhaps uh, do the opposite to, to kind of highlight um, problems that have been kind of covered over by uh, the various forces that control public space. So really for most people, even who aren't uh, playing games or anything, you could say we're living in a kind of mixed realities type life now with our second screens and social media and, and everything. But uh, what makes Wayfinder Live different from what I've read about it is that you're actually engaging in a community with other people who are battling uh, with different factions in order to to rule Melbourne. Is that is that correct? And can you explain yeah, a bit sure. more about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're quite right. Um, mixed realities um, and augmented reality sounds really high tech, and we think, oh, we need to, you know, get some new technology. Google Tango, for example, was just released today, so we think, well, we've got to wait for the next smartphone to to be able to access this stuff. But really, it's um, our been our lived reality for maybe the past couple of decades. You mm-hmm. know, certainly since the turn of millennium, um, and so with Wayfinder Live. Um, the strategy is aligned with what we call kind of uh, playable cities strategy. So the idea is really to um, activate public space um, through through play. Um, and in this case, yeah, you, you um, join a faction and the, the, um, the three factions have different agendas in terms of what should happen to Melbourne um, by the end of the game, so by the end of this weekend. Oh, there's so many things I love about what you're describing because usually when I hear about apps, um, they're trying to gamify something really commercial like Foursquare, mm. making, making people compete to be the mayor of certain locations or something, but it doesn't actually feel like a real connection with other people. And um, I wonder, you know, how do you begin to design a mixed reality experience for people that that doesn't feel commercial? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been making this for for a couple of years and there's been, they're all different kind of parameters to play with. So, for example, one of the parameters is is, um, uh, competitive play versus collaborative play. And this is really about collaborative play. The first Mm -hmm. version I made of, uh, made of, of, of this type of game uh, was back in 2010. It was very much about leaderboards and who scored the most points, kind of individual uh, accomplishment, whereas mm-hmm. this is about kind of working for a particular faction. Um, and also, um, as, a, as a kind of was alluding to before, kind of inserting a, a layer of fiction into the world around you. And this is really important um, for me, uh, kind of from a kind of, I guess, a, 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 a kind of philosophical point of view is that what I really like about these games or about mixed realities is that they kind of reinvent the world around you so that rather than, oh, I'm walking down this you know, kind of street again and there's no possibility, life is futile, that kind of stuff, you, there's, um, you, you kind of re- it reactivates that space and it's kind of this, this idea of reontologization of reality, so take, putting a different set of kind of codes and meanings into the world. I love that you get um, a sense of like interactive storytelling is going on inside a, a world that you've created or sort of imagined a way that p- you've, you've created the parameters for which 
within which people can interact and then from there they can sort of project a whole lot into that space. Um, we're looking at some amazing things in front of you right now. You've, you've got an app, but you've also got a series of geometric-shaped discs which have a whole lot of um, colourful patterns and uh, sort of symbol things going on there. We'll, we'll take some photos because uh, I don't think radio does it justice. Well, I certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, could you explain to us a little bit about, you know, what we're seeing in front of us? Sure. So um, the way that, that Wayfinder Live works is that throughout uh, kind of uh, this, this, this city, there are these 16 urban codes, um, which are the exactly the, these, these objects you've just described. So in, in, in the game, the idea is to, to find these. So the, the kind of first layer or the first experience is really a, a kind of, a kind of tangible physical search. Mm. Um, but once you find them, you use the, the app to scan them and, uh, they unfold into, uh, an animated, uh, display which reveals the type of creature that they are or type of being that they are. Um, so there's, there's games about wayfinding, um, about kind of finding, not not necessarily like, you know, at the airport, oh, I've got to get to gate 37. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll follow the signs. But this is about a kind of wayfinding, which is finding new ways of being in the city uh, and um, new ways of being in urban space. So as you kind of unlock each of these, uh, there is a, a narrative layer, which is about, oh, you know, there's this kind of creature that, that uh, you know, kind of belongs to a, a, a place called the Micronation of Ludea, which uh, is um, about urban space, so kind of decoding different elements of infrastructure and so forth. I love the way you're describing that because when I look at these tiles, you know, I see elements of tangram, I see origami, and when you when you talk about the unfolding, it all comes together. The the items, the tiles are simultaneously kind of beautiful and and pleasing in their symmetry, but also slightly innocuous, so that you could. I guess you could see them on the street and in a street art field city like Melbourne, it would be quite easy to just sort of glance by them and not have them draw your attention. So what, what Troy's done now is, is, um, open his app and, um, let the camera see one of the tiles and it's gone through a period of recognition and then, uh, processing, you know, what the image is and sort of some beautiful animations and, um, yeah, and localizing you within a map that's, uh, it's a little abstract, I guess, the map. It's it's kind of cool. There's still a lot of interpretation to happen and, and figuring out. And I guess that's that's what's already starting to suck me in as I'm sitting at this desk. I just want I just want to be able to to figure out what's going on. So, um, how did you find the the right level of um, explaining? the story and the process and then discovery. Sure. Well, um, a, lot, a lot of the explanations that happen in the game are about just the rules of play yeah. because the... the um, the best kind of games don't tell the player what to do mm. um, or kind of... Um, Set, set out every aspect of what the world should be, but kind of set up parameters for play, set up a kind of context for play. And that's what largely what about, I think, mixed realities, augmented reality, that kind of thing is about, is, is changing the context. So you give enough information to say, well, here's how this thing works, but you, you can play it in all different ways. Uh, I was talking to somebody today who said, well, I, I might, you know, I've got a skateboarding uh, kind of uh, night every, every, um, 
uh, every every Wednesday we might go down and do that. We'll play Wayfinder Live um, on our skateboards. So that's a different way to play than uh, most of the people have been kind of talking with and taking through tours the last couple of days, which is more, yeah, let's see the street art of Melbourne. And, and um, these things kind of blend in. They camouflage into those environments. And um, they, they and then there's this kind of process of discovery. Um, in, in fact, sometimes people discover the, the games uh, without even knowing that they are a game. They go, oh, well, what's that object? They get curious and then they, they discover it on the street, which is actually the best way in to the, into the world. So because these are uh, like physical, tangible codes that sure. you actually sign um, or that you, you t- use your app to, to see, does that mean that this game could be replicated in different cities? Yeah, sure. So um, that's something that I'm interested in um, kind of from a research point of view is uh, um, kind of public health of, of cities or the, the health of environments because... Uh, one of the things that, 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 that we find is that urban environments are often very alienating. I mean, we're quite lucky in Melbourne. It's probably, you know, you know kind of the world's most livable city or that kind of <laughs> stuff. I'd like in 10 years for it to be the world's most playable city because it's already, um, you know, a really kind of playful city. So you can mm. kind of really push that. But, um, there's a possibility for these types of games to, to engage with community health or the kind of to, to, to make cities less alienating to make them more um, and which you know has follow-on effects I mean uh, a lot of kind of physical or live games which is what this is talk about you know physical health because you're walking and I've certainly done a lot of walking this week but it's also there's a much bigger picture it's about the kind of health of the community and so if you're um, reactivating that space um, and as you suggested taking it to other cities is, is definitely a possibility with this and that's kind of long kind of more long term like to get uh, kind of take the project further and say because uh, uh, this is the first time we take it into an app form um, and replicate it and, and um, talking with actually with people in Netherlands and Denmark about uh, doing that next year fantastic yeah so uh, is it easier to play if you have quite a lot of people with you or is it more fun uh, it's up to you because one thing that we haven't um, uh, explored this evening, even yeah. though it's perfect for radios, it yeah. has a soundtrack. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, I think, um, when I've toyed with it, I have had the sound off. Right, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which a lot of people do with yeah. mobile phones. But yeah. one of the, one of the ideas is that you can play it solo with a soundtrack and the soundtrack is reactive. So as you, um, kind of open up different areas and as they change faction on the map and so forth, the sounds, uh, also, um, mix and change as oh, well. Oh, that's amazing. So there's that level of feedback. Is, is yeah. that, um, change to the soundtrack happening? happening programmatically or have you sort of composed a a range of things that kind of slot into each other yeah i mean it'd be great if it was a fully generative sound system in this case it's um uh a a a kind of uh, puzzle pieces just uh, like like the physical kind of puzzle pieces of the map there's different sound puzzle pieces it's great being mixed in oh look it looks beautiful um so tell us how people can participate in this game experience with you over the next couple of days sure well um it's running uh for the next five days as part of melbourne international games week the best thing to do um uh, is download the app. It's available on iOS and Android. Um, just search for Wayfinder Live um, on either of those platforms. Um, that'll give you a kind of quick quick taste of what, what you're in for. Um, then you can play it pretty much 24-7. So anytime you're in the city, start off. Uh, there's usual start points of Federation Square, Chinatown or South Bank, um, which you'll find when you, when you uh, open up the app. Um, if you're feeling a bit um, lazy because you do have to decode clues to find things in the game, uh, 
uh, tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, um, we're doing uh, tours. Uh, 3pm starting at Acme Cafe so just turn up um, you should see a bunch of people, maybe somebody wearing a, a, a kind of worker's helmet because part of the kind of narrative of this game is that it's about you know urban planning but urban planning from a, a kind of playful point of view, so look for the urban code makers at Acme Cafe, 3pm Thursday or Friday and um, come on a tour Sounds sensational um, I'm really it's it's a shame that I'm going to be working at this time. Yeah, just just one one more question. Uh, it it is heavily app app based, but if I've got say an older relative or a younger relative or sure. someone that wants to come, is it accessible and going to be fun for all different age groups? Yeah, well, I mean, part of part of the experience is um, you know, and, and going back to your question about playing as a group. Um, I I had a group of eighteen people um, playing today, and there's some emergent play happened. So only half of them were using phones. Uh, so one person kept covering the codes with her hand um, uh, to, to stop the others, and you know, just a joke. <laughs> and and um, then another guy had like a, a skateboard, and he started skating around the laneways. So it's kind of it's it's that idea of activating a playful kind of state of mind or a playful approach to the city. Uh, and so um, people can certainly play together. You don't have to have the technology. And the the locations that have been selected um, are perhaps places that people may not have explored before. So there's that also process of discovery. Um, it's about, you know, kind of taking people into those places. And this is what is interesting about mixed realities is that, um, like I said, it's about shifting context. And mm. so as, as a game designer, you're kind of looking at, well, okay, you know, that particular laneway, how can I, you know, use that as a ready-made um, you know, kind of location in, in my game? And what does that mean? And if I piece these different locations together in the city in a particular way, then you're kind of constructing a level out of the, the you know, fabric of the city itself. I love that on one hand, this project is so technical. You know, you've got an absolutely beautiful app there. You've got all this composition and stuff going into that, all this creativity. But you've also got that real human-centered approach and yeah. really putting that that experience first. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting to see. Uh, great to see this sort of thing going on at Melbourne International Games Week. Dr. Troy Innocent, thanks so much for speaking to us about Wayfinder Live. Pleasure. 7.54 on Triple R. We're going to hear some messages and then we'll be back for the last little bit. Melbourne's super special screen printing make it super easy to print all your spring and summer designs on a range of quality apparel. Whether you're a cafe or a band, a fashion label or a streetwear brand, super special's expertise in screen printing and artisan techniques are sure to meet your needs. For all the options and to get an instant online quote, visit superspecial.com.au. Super special, triple R sponsors. Celebrating 40 years on air. Seven fifty-five on Chipla. You're with Bite Into It with Cassie and Vanessa. Um, we just had a great time chatting with Dr. Troy Innocent about the Wayfinder Live augmented reality. But we thought we'd draw attention to a few other events going on. One for Melbourne International Games Week. Uh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, I just just getting. Oh no, to that's the, all right. I'm just right I'm just place. looking at packs all oh, the way pa- down. Yeah, in, no, yeah. I, I know I knew packs. I was like, oh, is that? Yes, that <laughs> is this weekend. Oh gosh, Cassie. Um, it's the largest consumer games event in uh, North America, and it is also coming to Australia. It's been doing that for a few years. Uh, PAX Australia's program includes international guests, speakers, musicians, and developers. 
who are hanging out with local game uh, industry reps to showcase games and community events in Australia. Now, unfortunately, three-day passes are sold out um, and passes just for Saturday are sold out. There is a special three-day pass for international visitors. So if you've come all the way down here, don't fret. Uh, but there are still some tickets available for Friday and Sunday for $65 each. So you can still get your little gaming middens on them. Mm. But also worth checking out just the Melbourne International Games Festival site and seeing what else is on because there's tons of events. Another thing we want to call out is the BuzzConf Technology Festival happening from the 25th to the 27th of November in Phoenix Park in Ballon. So it's a camping festival uh, and this year they're bringing together more than a dozen experts in the fields of virtual reality, Internet of Things, robots, machine learning, augmented reality, space exploration and more. And workshops run throughout the weekend. Um, they've also got an entire track of program for kids. So they're really a unique technology festival with their, their sort of family friendly approach. Um, you go out there, you, you camp, or if you like, you can sort of look at different types of accommodation. Um, tickets for adults are $500, students are 250 For families, it's $300 and um, children are free. So it's a really interesting event to get to because of the range of, um, of content covered and, and the way they, they make it accessible for a whole lot of people. It sounds really great. Um, and also, you don't have to splash all the cash to have a wonderful time, especially in Melbourne, as we've heard with uh, International Games Week. Acme's also got a free interactive screen worlds exhibition, which we've known for a while. It's open daily, but it now features a new VR section. It's all uh, about so the VR very, and so AR. We're very mixed realities uh, yeah. here today. Um, so yeah, screen worlds, if you haven't heard of it before, it's Acme's free permanent interactive exhibition that tells the story of the moving image. Uh, but its first VR commission, which is called Stuck in the Middle with You, uh, very lovely, uh, just joined the display and uh, it's exciting immersive dance experience fusing choreography performance documentary and drama pops you on stage right with the sydney dance company uh so very exciting and you feel first... very good about yourself after that oh you know i'm i'm a world star dancer vanessa yeah 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 you, you don't know that i know you're you're worthy <laughs> Uh, but it's it's also exciting because keep your fingers crossed and your eyes tuned because uh, there's hopefully a lot more uh, VR stuff coming in Acme in the upcoming months. And Yeah, it's great. I'm going to be popping through there quite frequently. You just want to dance. I really do just want to dance. It's time. It's that time. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Thanks to our guests, Daniel Crowley, Valentin Wenzel from Re-Electrify. They're pretty amazing technology to watch. And also thank you to Dr. Troy Innocent talking about Wayfinder Live. We've been bite into it and we'll be back next Wednesday evening. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au